Hi, this is Wilson, lead pastor of Renew Church OC. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Our sermon series, Psalms, the Internal Life of David, pairs narratives from David's life with Psalms that help us pull back the curtain to understand what he's feeling, how he's praying, and the way he's relating to God. LA is all about how you look and the two-second impression you give to other people. But God doesn't look at the appearance. He looks at the heart. I hope this series helps us to take our eyes off of the external and focuses our attention on developing our internal life with Jesus. Okay. Hey, guys. I I switched places with Wilson today. So he took care of announcements. And um, I get to teach this morning. Uh, my name is Kristen Whitmore, for those of you that don't, don't know me. Um, and I am Lucy's mom, who gave the, the dance announcement. So, um, okay, so I don't know what you guys shared about. I hope that was a fun time to connect. Because whether you're a student or not, you know, back to school season, it gets us all. Like, you know, Target tells us, we just feel it in the air, it's back to school season. I, I love rhythm and routine. And so that's what I really like about back to school season. I like having a schedule. I remember as a college student, it was like gold, getting your hand, like you had the puzzle pieces, you get it just right, just to have the perfect schedule. Anybody else like that? Like love schedules? (laughs) I love schedules. Um, But I also know back to school can be really crazy and hectic. And um, our August for the Whitmores, our summer in general has been pretty full. uh, And our August has been a little bit hectic. Um, but eventful and fun. You heard Lucy turn 14 yesterday, so uh, she had a fun sleepover with some teenage girls last night, which was loud, and, uh, but they're really great girls, so that was really fun. And um, I turned 40 last week, so that was another fun event of August. Still feeling good, still just like feeling the joints when I get out of bed and stuff. Um, Other eventful things, we were uh, cat-sitting for part of August while our neighbors are in Hawaii, and uh, they've got two cats, and we lost a cat. Like, for real, lost a cat. You can ask the whole Renew staff team. I showed up to team meeting, like, really bothered and asking for prayer for Zoe, the cat, to return back home. Told all the neighbors, and um, one of my neighbors found Zoe, you guys. I have never thought about the well-being of a cat so much in my life. I was so stressed. So that is all behind me now. My kids go back to school August 30th. Maybe some of you guys are already back to school right now. Uh, Lucy gets braces the 29th. So I feel like mom of the year. Just go back to junior high and wait, let's get braces first real quick the day before. So she'll be ready and sore on the first day of school. But um, since it's back to school season, I thought that I would be like a little teachery um, to start our time together. So we're going to have a little repeat after me. We're going to do a little vocab lesson. Uh, we'll have a little history. And um, I can see on your faces that some of you think it's going to be a little cheesy. But um, I told you I'm 40 now, and I think that means I can do whatever I want. So here we go. Um, So I'm going to give you one sentence, it'll be up on the screen, and this one sentence is going to summarize everything else I'm going to share, so that if you can remember one thing, this is the thing. 
Um, the sentence is, because God is gracious, we can be audacious in our faith. Okay. I said it. Now you say it. Okay. Because... Good job, class. Okay, so that might not mean a lot unless we know what audacious means. Maybe not something that we use all the time in our vocabulary. So vocab lesson coming up. Uh, the two definitions that came up that I feel like work really well for what we're talking about here. One is showing a willingness to take surprisingly bold risks. And two is not strained by a sense of shame or propriety. So we're going to take that and plug it back in. It's saying because God is gracious, we can be surprisingly bold when we approach him. We can be unrestrained. Because God is gracious, we can have no shame uh, in our faith and when we approach him. And so let's do it one more time. Because... That was not terrible. Uh, no, good job, guys. Okay, so you know, uh, maybe if you've been around for a little bit, that we've been doing a series um, in our church for a little while now where we've been going through the Psalms, specifically the ones that partner up with specific events in David's life, and it tells us so in the Psalm. And so um, today we're doing Psalm 3, and it tells us exactly in David's life and journey what it partners up with. Um, and the reason I loved this second definition so much of audacity or being audacious is because after I read a little bit of the history of where David was at in his life and then I read Psalm 3, I like kind of said to myself, the audacity. <laughs> and so that's kind of where, uh, honest, this is all coming from. So the promised history lesson now. Um, you know uh, from last week maybe, or if you've been around a little bit, um, not all of David's life and not all of scripture is um, filled with like pretty pictures and perfect stories. And so the history that we're gonna cover is um, pretty colorful and um, kind of difficult to digest. And honestly, I was thinking that if I saw my daughter Lucy reading a book and the content had some of the material that I'm gonna talk about today in it, and I read over her shoulder, I would say, Luce, you gotta put that down. Like, that is not appropriate to read. But then I find out she's reading the Bible. Like, what do you do with that, you know? Um, and he here is actually the cool thing about that, I think, is we can know that God's word is not sanitized. It is not, um, doesn't, doesn't come with a filter or a positive spin. Uh, these are real stories about real people, and so it's going to be messy. And, um, and I think because of that, we can see ourselves mirrored in it a little bit more. Um, okay, so last week, Wilson covered um, the story of David and Bathsheba and partnered with Psalm 51. And, um, and David and Bathsheba was David committing adultery, and Psalm 51 was really his um, confession and repentance, pouring out his heart to God. And so you'll see on the slide kind of the progression here. Um, with David and Bathsheba, in that story, um, Wilson helped us see it was really kind of maybe an idol of comfort that led David to be pretty passive and staying at home when he should have been 
at war. And um, he was at home, lounging, eyes lingering where they shouldn't have been. And um, he was drawn to Bathsheba, had her sent to him, and committed adultery with her. You know, this goes down the line of cover-up, and it spirals, and he has her husband killed. And it kind of all culminates this story when David is approached by the prophet Nathan, and God is speaking through Nathan. And, you know, he says, you are that man. So he confronts David, and David is, um, his guilt is exposed. He realizes his sin. And so we have the sin, we have his confrontation with Nathan, and God's words through Nathan were kind of twofold. He said, you are forgiven. Okay, he, he pronounced God's forgiveness over David, but he also said, there's going to be consequence because of this. And he mentioned that his firstborn son would die, and that's kind of where we left off last week. It also mentions in there that there would be continual calamity or disharmony in his household. And um, that's really the backdrop of where we are today. Um, you know, if you were in small group this week, you guys probably talked a little bit about the difference between condemnation and consequence. And that there could be this dividing line of two things that God is um, pronouncing over David, that there is forgiveness, so there's no condemnation, but there still is consequence. And so, um, and so we see that. So we're going to walk through some of the, the natural consequences that we see in, um, in David's life. So I'm just going to kind of walk through them step by step as you see them on this slide. David had many children through many wives. So some of these um, take a little bit of explaining. He has a son named Amnon and his half-sister, Tamar, who's a daughter of David. Uh, Amnon finds his sister beautiful, and he schemes to figure out a way um, to have sex with her. So he abuses her, and there's that situation of incest in their family. So Absalom, this is another son of David. He's Tamar's brother, so he is Amnon's half-brother. Absalom finds out about this, and... Um, rightfully angry, but he approaches Tamar and just kind of says, let's not say anything about this, this is our brother, and she moves into his house, and um, he's quiet about it for two years until he um, sets up this scenario where he murders Amnon. David loses his firstborn son, now he's lost Amnon. Um, so after Absalom kills Amnon, he flees, and story goes on. Eventually, he's restored. He's back, but he is power hungry, and he is described as very handsome. People are attracted to him, and he starts taking advantage of that and is um, wooing followers and more and more power, desiring the kingdom from his father, and so he uh, is now on the hunt, and word gets to David like, hey, your son is after you and after your kingdom. And so David flees, and that is the setting of Psalm 3. So, spoiler alert, Absalom ends up dying. So three sons now of David that he has lost. Okay, we're about to, um, to dive deeper into Psalm 3, where we will hear David's voice and hear him cry out to God and see a little peace into their relationship. But before we get there, um, I wanted to acknowledge the voices that we don't hear um, in this psalm. 
we are not going to hear from Bathsheba, and we are not going to hear from Tamar. And um, yeah, I think it can be frustrating and difficult as a woman to feel like the voices of women in scripture are not heard, especially these women who were used and abused by the very men that were supposed to be the most protective, the most trustworthy. Um, and it's, by, it's those men often that we get to hear from in their relationships with God and we don't get to hear from these women. And I noticed that um, and I, honestly, I didn't notice it this time, the absence of their voice. Wilson brought it to my attention a couple weeks ago when he was preparing his message. He's like, hey, I was thinking um, it's wild that we don't get to hear from the women in this message. I'd love for you to talk about that. So I'm really grateful um, for Wilson in that too, in his leadership. But um, yeah, so what, what do we do with that? Um, I think in this story, it is helpful to know that, not just in this story, in all stories regarding the, the kind of seeming silence of women in the Bible, that God is not silent about how he feels about women and about how he feels about injustice and abuse. And I think even the fact that he spoke through Nathan to bring this judgment um, to David and these consequences, instead of just being like, you're a leader, you're a man, you can get away with what you want, shows his heart and care, which really was pretty provocative even for the time that they were in. But even more clearly, if we look at God's heart through the face of Jesus, Jesus was constantly drawn to women and not just drawn to them, but elevated them and favored them. And not just women, but um, the most marginalized and the ones that really had been used and abused and silenced. And um, Jesus not only went to them, but redeemed them. And often it is these women that he would use to spread the gospel. There's a couple instances of women like this that would receive the good news of Jesus and bring whole towns to know him. So that's not where our story is today, but I didn't want to miss the opportunity before we jump into this passage to see um, a picture of God's heart that we might not see jump out at us as we read this passage. All right, let's read Psalm 3 together. Okay, starting in verse 1, this is David saying, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. <clears throat> I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing on your people. Okay, so we know, it reminds us at the beginning of this, that David is in this position. He's fleed from his son who is after him. He's in this position in part due to the consequence of his own sin, the continual disharmony and calamity in his household. But we don't in this psalm see David continuing to recount his sin before God and kind of spiral into guilt. Instead, he has the audacity 
to seek God, which is what I whispered under my breath when I read it. He takes God at his word through Nathan that he's forgiven, and he presumes on that grace that he can once again have God as a shield and find refuge in him, even when he's running from the consequence of his own sin. Because God is gracious, we can be audacious in our faith too. So in verse 3 and 4, we see, I'm going to reread it for you. It says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. So he said God is his shield, his refuge, his protector. When chaos surrounds, he found refuge in the Lord. So here's my question. What is the chaos that is surrounding your life right now? It is probably not that your own flesh and blood is chasing you down and trying to take over your kingdom. Uh, so it might feel like it pales in comparison, but it's a different time. And so I know that we are all experiencing some level um, of chaos. So, so what is it in your life? Honestly, it might have been some of the stuff you were sharing at, about when we talked about back to school. Maybe, maybe you're a teacher and it's really stressful. Uh, maybe your kids are having a rough time adjusting back to school. Um, maybe, maybe the chaos and stress is um, financial pressures or, um, or something at work. Uh, it could be relational conflict. They're like one of the biggest stressors in our life. Um, and sometimes it's hard to put our finger on it. Sometimes it's just that there's this like mild buzz of anxiety underneath just about everything we're doing. And you know, when I say stress, I feel like it automatically sounds like a bad word. Um, but stress can be healthy this side of heaven. I don't think we'll be stressed in heaven. But there is an amount of stress that, um, that works in our favor. Like stress can give us that like fight or flight instinct if there's danger around the corner, you know. Um, stress can help us kick into gear if we're lagging behind or procrastinating. And so stress is not always like, we just got to get rid of stress. Just don't ever have any chaos or stress. Because sometimes stress is just stress as a part of living in a broken world. We need to learn to manage it so it doesn't become chronic. But sometimes it's part of our ordinary for right now. So sometimes it's just stress. Sometimes stress and chaos can be specific. And it can be the result of unrepentant sin in our life. And, um, you know, when we have sin, when I say unrepentant, I just mean sin that we haven't talked to God about, sin that we haven't turned from or dealt with. And when we have sin like that in our life, it is not natural for us to hide in God. We're more likely to hide from him. You know, I've experienced this personally myself. There's times when I just don't want to have that deep conversation with someone that I know is going to ask me the deep questions. Looking at you, ladies. Um, sometimes I avoid time with the Lord or time of reflection because, um, because I'm hiding from something. Uh, and I experienced this by being in ministry, too. I realized that, especially in uh, student ministry with college students, that sometimes people would be avoiding me like they're avoiding God. And um, I love being in ministry. I love being known as a Jesus follower. Uh, but it's not always fun to be like the buzzkill in social situations. So I was like, I wasn't wanting to talk to her today. 
um, you know, being a representative of someone's guilty conscience. So sometimes stress is just such stress. Sometimes it's a result of something personal, some unrepentant sin in our life. But in David's case, his chaos and this stress and this situation he's in is from repented sin. This is sin that he has already worked through with God. And so I do think it's helpful and um, it's good for us to remember that sometimes sin is dead and buried and forgiven, um, but the consequence of that sin is still alive and well. And this is hard to grapple with. Uh, we're much more comfortable talking about forgiveness and the truth that as far as the East is from the West, so far God has removed our transgressions from us. Um, but it's not as easy to talk about his judgment. And, you know, his judgment in this scenario, I like to think of it less like retaliatory. It's not like God is like, you did this, and so I'm going to do this. It's not like that. But maybe picture, you know, we call consequences natural consequences often. Picture what would life look like for a moment, for a month, for a year, if God did not intervene, if he did not show favor, if we did not experience his lavish grace. Often the natural way things would have happened, that's like judgment, that's like consequence. And I know this is tricky, so if you want to talk about it more, I really would be happy to have Wilson talk to you more about that. Um, but what's the chaos? Second big question is where are you seeking protection? Where are you seeking refuge or protection from that chaos in your life? Uh, if you're human, my guess is that finding protection and comfort in the Lord is not your automatic response. Maybe, um, I mean, we have a plethora of ways that we can find comfort right now. It's like everything is accessible. Uh, so it could be an easy scroll to find comfort or protection. Uh, maybe it's you know, numbing out to Netflix instead of having that conversation with your spouse or your roommate. Um, maybe it's avoiding people or a meeting or an email at work, just hoping something will blow over without you having to address it. And especially for church people, uh, maybe, maybe you find protection in your goodness or service. Um, you know, like keeping on good deeds and acts of service to kind of try and cover up a big sin um, that you're feeling shame about or that you're not ready to deal with. Maybe something that you're feeling just fatigued from and you don't want to have a conversation about. But you know, continuing to heap on good things so that everything looks right from the outside and not dealing with the inside, um, it can lead to a lot of things, but it's for sure going to lead to like exhaustion and burnout. And we really, uh, we really don't want that for you. Maybe you find protection in busyness. This is totally me. Um, this sounds weird, but we're also stressed out, largely because we're doing so much, too much probably. But we're scared to slow down enough to feel the result of that, maybe the grief or fatigue or worry or hurt. And so we just pile more things on our calendar and get more stuff done to, um, to try and cope, which actually makes us feel more stressed and leads to more unhealth. David seeks protection and hiding 
uh, in the Lord. And you know, this reminds me um, in John 6, Jesus had just finished a particularly hard teaching. It's exactly the way the passage describes it. It was particularly hard. And many of his followers deserted him. They were done. They stopped following him. And his disciples were grumbling and were overwhelmed. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he said, do you guys want to leave too? And Peter responds, who's the picture of audacity, I feel like Peter. Peter responds, and I like picture him, you know, exhausted and just like spent. And he says, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And um, so I think that regardless if we feel spent and exhausted, uh, it's helpful to realize like Peter, like I'm done, but I don't want to find protection anywhere else because nothing else leads to life. Maybe last week uh, when Wilson was sharing and we had Dr. Roy came up here sharing about sexual addiction, but really it was more about just like sin and addiction in general. Um, maybe there was some stuff that got brought up in your own heart that you're now trying to walk through and deal with. Um, please don't uh, run away from that uh, or hide in any of those things. Um, you, you can be unashamed, unrestrained, surprisingly bold. Uh, you can be audacious in the way that you approach God. Okay, we're moving on to verse 5 and 6. So he says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Okay, he lies down and he sleeps. He wakes up again. God is his sustainer. He can sleep and entrust his life to God, um, even in hiding, even in exhaustion, even when his son is trying to overthrow him in his kingdom. He's not afraid. So here's my questions from this. What helps you sleep at night? And what gets you through the day? I know if you were maybe to like look at my day, you'd be like, caffeine gets you through the day and you like to like wine down, which is true. I love both of those things, but they cannot be my sustainer. Obviously, both of those things out of their right place would become um, really unhealthy addictions. So David's able to say, I go to sleep at night, I rise again because you sustain me. And you've, you've heard our invitations many times to morning devotionals. Maybe you've been a part of those with Renew. Maybe it's a practice that you already have on your own. Um, but there is something special about starting your day with the Lord. I mean, even before you feel fully awake, I kind of picture it like one of those TikToks you've probably seen where like somebody's asleep in bed and then like another person is just standing there over the bed and it's labeled like to-do list, anxiety, like go to work, all of the things that they have. And it's just like hovering, like waiting for you as soon as you get up. And that really is kind of like what our phone <laughs> represents when we get up in the morning. It's just waiting for us. Life and chaos and people. So there's something about starting your day with what is true and what is beautiful 
um, before you're even fully awake and before any of the rest of life can catch up to you, um, that can be truly sustaining. And same for nighttime. I mean, I'm as guilty as anyone on being at least on one screen at a time up until I close my eyes at night. <laughs> um, but what would it look like if we spent the last moments of our day unpacking? It's prayer, but I'll call it unpacking. It's like unpacking our day, unpacking our mind and our heart, and being able to lay each of those things before God that we are saying, I'm not carrying those um, anymore. I can go to sleep and I can get up again because you sustain me. All right, the last two verses, verses seven and eight. He says, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing be on your people. David has an interesting imagination about God's justice. He's like, God, just break their teeth. Um, but really he's saying, he's acknowledging, God, you alone are savior and you alone are the ultimate judge. So here's the questions that I think of when I read that. At first I was gonna phrase it, do you try to save yourself? But I kinda know we all do. So how are you trying to save yourself? And maybe are you trying to avenge yourself? Can you trust in God's salvation on your behalf and in God's perfect judgment instead of your own? I think that it's funny the way David phrases it at the end, but I feel like David does know that God is trustworthy to carry out justice in a way that he can't. Okay, so as a recap, we can see through David's life and his prayer here that regardless of his situation, his chaos, he's, you know, on the run from his son. Regardless of his reputation, he's being hunted by his son, and all of these people that Absalom wooed to, hit, to follow him that are now proclaiming loyalty to Absalom instead of David. Regardless of his situation, his reputation, he acknowledges where his salvation comes from. It's like Peter, remember, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. It makes me think God is gracious. And so we can have audacious faith in him. Okay, but where does David's audacity come from? Um, David relied on his covenant relationship with God. Covenant just means promise. And maybe you've heard the term Davidic covenant, covenant God made with David. You know, we have the covenant he made with Abraham, uh, this Davidic covenant. There's a covenant, um, the new covenant. The new covenant is uh, communion, what we celebrate, communion. Jesus says when he breaks the bread and he pours the wine, he says, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you and for all people for, for the forgiveness of sins. But the Davidic covenant, so David relied on this promise from God that, you know, he was chosen. We've walked through his life. He was chosen as the unlikely poor shepherd boy. He was anointed as king. And he was banking on the specific promise that God gave him that through his line, through his family line, he was going to raise up a king um, that would rule forever and a kingdom that would not pass away. That, of course, points us to Jesus. So he was audacious because he was banking on the covenant with God. 
we can be audacious because we have Jesus, the new covenant, that through his blood, through his forgiveness, we have been granted access to God anytime, any place, without restraint, without shame. First John 3 says, see what great love God has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. There's not much greater access than being a child. Okay, so we're gonna wrap up by getting really practical. Um, I told you guys I'm a routine girl. It's why I like back to school time. And um, I'm relatively a disciplined person. Um, I'm, one of the, I'm one of the few people in here at 10 a.m. when church starts, just saying. Um, but I like spending time with God each morning. I typically have a plan for what I'm going through when I'm studying and I stick to that. And uh, I, I have my alarm set for the same time every day. I grab my coffee and I sit in this same spot in my dining room and I get to read and pray before the kids wake up. Um, and this is awesome when life circumstances are all obedient to that plan. But you know, sometimes kids wake up early. Um, sometimes you get a kitchen remodel and your dining room spot's not there anymore. That's silly, I just got a kitchen remodel. It's gorgeous and it is the most privileged problem to have on the planet. But when my little spot in the dining room was gone, I was like not spending time with the Lord anymore. I was like, well, Jonathan's in the living room. That's his space, you know? And I'm like, if I stay in bed, I'm just gonna sleep. And so I do. And so then I get up and the kids are already up and there goes my like perfect plan, you know? Um, my dining room's back now. And so it's great. Got to sit in that little spot this morning. Um, but some of us might lack discipline in our time with the Lord, uh, maybe you call on him mostly when you're like at the end of your rope and you are just kind of like raw and spent before him, but then it kind of takes a little while again before you're at the end of your rope again. Um, you can just pray for a shorter rope. That might help. Um, but so some of us lack discipline, but some of us lack flexibility in our time with God. And what I mean by that is being able to acknowledge that he is everywhere always, all the time. Um, sometimes I think routine too can block out the raw and real. And so sometimes he gets my discipline and less of my devotion. But surely if David can find him when he's on the run and being hunted, uh, you and I can find God anywhere. I heard this story recently of Susanna Wesley. She was the mother, her sons co-founded the Methodist Church. And um, she had a difficult life and a difficult marriage. She lost nine of her 19 children when they were infants and then raised the rest of the 10 kids basically on her own. And her kids lived on later to tell that when they would see their mom in the kitchen uh, or anywhere in the house with her apron over her head, she was not to be disturbed because they knew that she was spending time with the Lord. I think about um, Brother Lawrence. He wrote Practicing the Presence of God. He's one of a, probably the most quoted um, writers, Christians, and Christian, um, in Christian spiritual reading. And uh, he was a monk that had the humble role of serving as the dishwasher in the monastery. And he would share about how it wasn't just in the spiritual disciplines throughout his day that he would connect with God, but there doing dishes, he would practice 
the presence of God. So if David can find refuge in sacred space when he's on the run, if, uh, if Susanna Wesley can find it under her apron when she's probably flooded with grief while trying to raise 10 children, um, surely you and I can find it anywhere. So no matter our situation, the chaos that you were thinking of, no matter your location, uh, your reputation, no matter any of these things, uh, you can call on the Lord because he is gracious. We can have audacious faith in him. And so as we kind of continue down a practical road here, I wanted maybe to have a little bit of practice um, before we ended today. And so there's several questions. They're the exact same questions that I asked you while I was up here. So what's the chaos in your life? Where are you seeking protection? What or who is your sustainer? Where are you looking to for salvation? Or, um, or maybe avenge? Who are you trusting in as judge? Uh, I would love just for a couple minutes of quiet before we do communion together for you to sit. You can even put like, you know, imagine an apron over your head uh, for just sacred space with God. And just almost like a prayer, just allow God to um, point out some areas that you might answer um, to these questions. So I'll pray for you as you reflect through those, and then Wilson will lead us through communion in just a little bit. Um, God, I do, I do pray that you would kind of prick our minds and hearts to, um, to something that you maybe are bringing attention to. Um, God, I feel like your conviction can feel really hard in the moment, but I know it's to lead us to goodness, to repentance. It's because you want us to experience um, your awesome grace. And so just pray for all of us right now that we wouldn't find hiding in protection anywhere else and that you would help us to come raw um, before you even right now. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Wilson again. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If our sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd love for you to consider supporting our church and ministry. As we approach the end of the year, we're asking our church family to consider investing into a special fund that support our interns and seminarians. Renew has a vision of investing in pastors for the next generation through our internship program. And your financial partnership can help set up a young pastor or missionary to faithfully serve the Lord for the next 30 to 40 years. I often dream about what Erwin or Kevin will do for the kingdom of God through their 30s, 40s, and 60s. Our goal is to raise $50,000 over the season. Would you consider joining us? You can give through PayPal or Venmo or by sending a check. All the information is on the description section of the podcast. Or you can visit our website. And your investment is tax deductible. Thank you so much for being a part of our church family. If you're ever in the Fullerton, California area, please drop by into our Sunday service. I'd love to meet you. God bless.